Welcome to the PKF Camps podcast. We're excited to share this message with you from Surf City 2018. So I hope that you are having a great time. I hope that you're making some memories. I talked to some guys from Mighty Mighty Lacrosse, Wisconsin today. And uh, where's my guy, where are my guys from Lacrosse? Yeah. So they came up to me and they said, Benny, we just put a tree in some kid's cabin. What? We put a tree in a cabin. I was like, the music was kind of loud. I was trying to figure out what they were talking about. Did you dig it out of the ground? And I uh, like, no. So we found a, a tree, like a 20-foot tree, and we dragged it into some kid's cabin. So if you go back and you have a cabin uh, and, a, and a tree is in it and all of your mattresses are in the showers, then you can, you can thank your friends from La Crosse, Wisconsin. I also, I have to say, I don't condone pranks. That's what they are telling me to say. But... Um, so don't mess with kids from Wisconsin. They love cheese and they love pranks. That's what I am learning today. But I hope you're having a great time. I had a great time today. Um, but we have some really important things to talk about. So we're going to jump right in. And on Sunday, we talked about the fact that Jesus asked us to follow him. And last night, we talked about the idea that uh, not only did Jesus ask us to follow him, but that God created us special from the rest of his creation, that God created us specifically to be in relationship with him, that God wanted us to know him and to be known by him. And we also talked about how God created us individually, that he knows every little thing about you. He knows what you think, what's on your mind. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you would say before you even say it, right? That's how much he knows you and he loves you. He knows you so deeply. He loves you so deeply. And that's what we talked about last night. But I think it gets a little difficult because if we really truly think about our lives back home, I think there are a lot of times where our picture, right, the picture of our life doesn't look so beautiful and wonderful. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would identify things in our life back home that make us think, you know, Benny talked about this picture of beauty that God created, but I don't really see that in my life at home. Right, we might see it on social media and the way that people talk to us. We might see it in our families. Right, We might come from broken homes where we think there should be more love than there is. We might see it in our friendships, and it doesn't look so beautiful and wonderful. I told you, I told you yesterday, and it seemed to surprise some people that I, uh, I'm a middle school principal, and I see this all the time. Just last year, I had this kid. He's an eighth grader. And please know, I, have to, I change all the names for my stories, so uh, I'm not actually giving you any information about people's personal lives. But I had this kid, um, I'll call him Tim, and, and he was an eighth grader, and he got kicked out of his house. His family kicked him out. Yeah, his, his family kicked him out, locked the doors, changed the garage code, and he didn't have any way to get back in. And we didn't know anything about it. And so he was still coming to school, and then he was, I don't know where he was going after school, to a friend's house. He was just kind of walking around the town. And then eventually, the gym teacher started taking off points because he wasn't changing for gym class. And he came to me, and, and he was in my office, and he said, Mr. Canan, you know, Mr. Sharman's taking points off me for gym, but I don't have any clothes to change into. And I said, well, why not, Tim? We can get you some clothes. He's like, well, but that's not the, not, it's not the thing. I mean, I, I can't get my clothes because... I'm locked out of my house, and I don't have anywhere to go. I mean, this eighth grade kid had no home to go to. I mean, that doesn't sound like this beautiful picture that, that God created. Um, I coach basketball on the north side. Bless you. You sneezed yesterday, didn't you? It's good to see you again. Um, <laughs> you know, so I coach basketball 
on the north side, and, and we... And, when we coach basketball, we get pizza and we eat dinner together and then we play basketball for an hour or two and we were talking about our families. And, and, and uh, eventually, some of my guys started talking about their fathers. And it was strange because every guy in my basketball circle, like on my team, said the same exact thing. And they said, Benny, my father disappoints me. You see, each one of them, either their father had left their family or their father would say, hey, I'm going to come to your basketball game, and they wouldn't show up. Or say, I'm going to come pick you up and take you to this thing, and then they wouldn't show, right? Their lives were broken. Their lives didn't look like this picture that, that God painted for us yesterday. So why is that, right? Because that's not what it's supposed to be like. You know, God, we get a picture from that in, in the book of Genesis. We talked about creation. And and. There's a detailed story about the man and the woman that God created, and he gave them everything, right? And we might know their names. We've heard them before, most of us at least, Adam and Eve, and he gave them the world. He gave them the land to rule over. He gave them the animals, and, and he gave them whatever they wanted. And he just gave them one requirement and said, whatever you do, don't eat the fruit from this you know, one tree. Everything else is yours, but just this one thing, don't do it. And this is the first time that we ever see that mankind makes a decision and says, you know what, we know better for ourselves than what the person who created us knows for us. And so regardless of having everything that they could ever want or need, they decided that they would eat the fruit from that tree. And as soon as they did that, their eyes were opened, right? They realized Things have changed, and that relationship that they once had with God that they were designed for was broken permanently, right? They had disobeyed God, and they had turned their back on him and said, you know what, thanks, but we're going to do our own thing. We don't want the life that you've made for us anymore. We're going to chase after our own life. And that's important because I think we all do that, right? We're all faced at times, and I have a picture of it, where we are at a point where we can take one path, Right? And that could be the path that God would have us take, right? the, God, the path that God has designed for us, or the other path, which is what we want to do for ourselves, what we think is better. And time after time after time, we choose the path that we want for ourselves. And we say, God, even though you've created me and you know what's best for me, I don't think so. I'm going to go my own way. And that has a name, and that's called sin. And sin is a very churchy word. If you don't go to church or you don't go to church very often, you might not hear that word anywhere else. But that's exactly what it is. It's turning your back on God and saying, I know what's best for me, not you. So leave me alone, and I'm going to do my own thing. Right? And in Romans, it says that we have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. You see, it's not just some of us. It's all of us. It's you. It's me. It's the people up here on this stage. We've all made that decision to turn our backs on God and say, I know what's best, not you. And we go our own way. You see, in Jesus' time teaching, he gave us a bunch of, you know, tips, right? Helpful tips for how to live. And he tells us all kinds of things. And maybe you've heard some of them before where he tells you to, to love people, right? Um, he, uh, I'll give you a, a couple examples, right? In, uh, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, which details Jesus' life and his teaching, it says that Jesus was saying to crowds, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I'm looking around. I don't think I see any murderers. 
So I think we're probably, at least lately, nobody murdered anybody lately, correct? Right? So we're probably pretty good on that. Well, this is, that's a suspicious, this does not, right? So we're probably good on that, right? We're probably not disobeying God. But then Jesus goes on to say, but I'll tell you what, anyone who is angry with his brother will also be subject to judgment. Well, I know that I've never murdered anybody. However, I have been angry at people, and I have said things out of anger, and I have done things out of anger that have hurt others. Now, the path that God would have me take, that's not what he'd have me do, but I decided to take my own path. Right? Jesus also says some crazy things like, love your enemies. Now, I know we probably all have at least somebody in our school or in our neighborhood that we just don't like, and I'm pretty sure that we don't show them a lot of love. But that's what Jesus would have us do, right? That's the instruction from our Heavenly Father. And over and over again, we turn our backs on that and we say, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do, not what you, God, would have me do. You know, I think there's a reason for that. And I think a lot of people have the, the opinion that, that following God is just a lot of rules. That God has a lot of rules that he wants us to, to obey and to listen to, and, and I just don't want to follow all these rules. But there's a reason. You see, because God knows what's best for us. He knows that our decisions have consequences, and he knows what those consequences are better than we do. I have a nephew. His name is Adam, and he will not eat anything. He's like two years old. He will not eat any food that is not ice cream, cookies, or candy. And... Um, I kid you not, we just went on vacation with them. And if you give him anything, even pizza, you give him pizza and he'll throw it on the wall. You know, he'll, he'll throw bananas at people. He'll throw his cup at you. Like he doesn't want to eat anything that's not candy, cookies, or cake. And my sister won't just give him candies, cookies, and cake for dinner. And Adam gets ticked, right? He yells, he throws a tantrum, he screams. And if you, could, if you asked him and he could verbalize it, he would probably say that my sister's being a jerk. Right? He would probably say that, you know, she's just not giving me what I want. But the problem is that my sister, Katie, she knows that there are consequences to eating nothing but cookies, cake, and candy for dinner. You see, because he would get sick, and he would not feel very good. And then he would try to sleep at night, but you know what it's like to sleep when you're sick. It doesn't work very well, right? And then the next day, he would have a miserable day because he didn't sleep well because he was sick before, and it would just go on and on. There were consequences for why he couldn't eat cookies, cake, and candy for dinner. But Adam doesn't see that. He doesn't realize that. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in, in some of the ways that Jesus tells us to live because we think it's just all these rules, right? He, he's trying to keep me from something better, but he's not. He's instructing us how to live because he knows what is best for us. And I think it's also tough for us as middle schoolers because the world that we live in, the people that we go to school with the, the communities we live in that tell us that sin is okay. They do. They tell us that it's okay to turn your back on God. I, um, I called, I had the situation at school. Uh, this kid after lunch grabbed his binder off these shelves we have by the cafeteria, ran down the hallway and slammed this kid on the head of the binder, knocked him down, and then started stomping on him. Now, this, is not, this doesn't happen often at my school, but it did happen this, this one day. And so I called in my office, and, and the two of us know each other very well. We have seen each other before. And um, I said, 
you know, did you do this? I have the cameras. I don't, before I look at the camera, did you do this? And he said, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. You're suspended. And um, <laughs> then, then I called his parents, and I talked to his mom. And I told her what happened. I said, your son, you know, hit this kid, and all this stomped on him, and, and we got to work this out. And she said, well, this kid has been annoying my son. And I told him, if you got to hit him, just hit him. <laughs> yeah. This is a true story. And, and I was kind of shocked because, you know, when, when, when Jesus tells us how we should love our enemies and love people that annoy us, this kid's mom was certainly not telling the same story. And so he clocked him, right? Not what we were looking for. But that's the kind of world that we live in. Another example, and this is mainly for guys, right? But maybe not completely. But this plagues middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, adults. Talking about pornography, Okay. That's something that the world says, guys just watch porn. It's just what they do. It's, it's not a big deal. Right? That's, that's what the world says. I'm serious. And, and, and we can laugh about it. We can giggle about it. And that's fine. But when it comes down to it, the world tells us that that's just guys being guys. But what God would tell us is that, are we all right? What God would tell us is, no, that's not what I want for you, because I have a relationship in your future, right, that I want you to be able to be present for, right? I want you to be able to respect the partner that I've chosen out for you, and pornography is going to get in the way of that, right? But we live in a society and a culture that tells us that this sin is okay and expects us to engage in this sin. And the big problem with sin that I have found, personal experience, is that sin looks good at the time, right? Sin is tempting, but it doesn't deliver. It's not worth it in the long run. Have you, um, have you ever seen like a movie trailer or movie preview that looked really, really good, and then you were like dying to see it? Maybe you looked up reviews or went on Rotten Tomatoes and saw it was certified fresh and like, oh, I got to see that movie. And then you went to the movie and it sucked? Yeah, we've all been there, right? But it looks so good. But every funny part was in the preview. And then you get to the movie and you think, oh, man, I've already seen all the funny parts. They were in the preview. And the rest of the movie is garbage. That's what I think sin is like. You see, sin grips us. Sin looks good. It tempts us. But it's not worth it. When I was in seventh grade, there was this kid in my reading class. His name was John Klein. And, and you have to know a little bit about me as a seventh grader. I was fairly popular. I'd say like a, an eight out of 10 on the popularity scale. Not the highest, but I was up there because I, I was good at sports. I could make people laugh. And one of the ways that I made people laugh was that I made fun of other people, right? It works pretty well, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately. And, and so in seventh grade reading class, my target was John Klein. And the reason he was my target is because he loved Legos, and all he would do was read Lego magazines every day in seventh grade. And as a seventh grader, I had decided that Legos were dumb, and Legos were stupid, and I'm going to make fun of John Klein for it. And I did, and people loved it, right? I, I made John Klein's life a living hell in seventh grade, and people around me were laughing, were egging me on. They loved it, right? And, and to me, that was tempting, right? That felt good. Sin felt good at the time. But what I realized quickly after that was that the people that were laughing at me and were my friends because I made fun of John, as soon as I stopped doing what they wanted me to do, 
they didn't care about me. Those friendships weren't like lasting friendships, and they weren't really friendships that I wanted to have. So I realized that it wasn't very worth it, that sin looked good, but like those movie previews, it left me feeling disappointed. And then a crazy thing happened. Seven years after that, I, I told you on Sunday that I worked at Surf City when I was in college. I showed up at Surf City in 2007, the first time that I ever worked on staff. And I got out of the car, I drove up with my buddy Wicks, and, uh, and we got to the staff house, and the cameraman was standing there. And the cameraman was John Klein. I hadn't seen John since like seventh grade. And, and I was, you know, I was up there to be somebody who loves God and was somebody to work with the kids and kind of show them like, hey, this is the lo love God has for us. Yet I walk into the staff house and what this kid sees is the guy who made his life hell in seventh grade. That's what sin does to you. That's, it, it, it takes you on a path that God did not design for you to be on. And the problem with that is that it breaks that relationship that he wants to have with you. So what does that mean when it comes to Jesus? Because we've been looking at a couple stories of Jesus. Does that mean that, that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us anymore? That, well, now that we're sinners and that we, you know, we say things we shouldn't and do things that we shouldn't and think, think things that we shouldn't, that, that, uh, that he doesn't want to have to do anything to do with us anymore? It's just the opposite. And I want to share with you two quick stories from Jesus' life before we, before we have an opportunity to talk about some things that, that we're thinking about. And the first one is, uh, you know, Jesus called people to follow him. We talked about that on Sunday. He, he called these fishermen. But he called others, too. And one of the people he called to follow him was a tax collector. And what you have to know about tax collectors in these days is that tax collectors were kind of considered cheats, right? Nobody really liked them. Um, first of all, because you're giving your money to them and nobody wants to pay taxes. If you're, when you're an adult, you'll learn that taxes stink, right? Um, they're no good. But beyond that, they would take extra money and just pocket it themselves. They ripped people off. They were dishonest. People did not have a good image of tax collectors. So Jesus was walking along in this town and he saw Levi and he was sitting in a tax collector's booth because he was a tax collector. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And so Levi got up. Is there something special about Jesus? And he followed him. And later, Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, and there were many tax collectors, and th there were many sinners, right? People would turn their backs on God, just like all of us have. And, and these, these people who were kind of teachers of the law at that time were surprised by this. And they saw Jesus eating with these people. And so they asked his followers, his disciples, they said, why does Jesus eat? with sinners and tax collectors. And when Jesus heard this, instead of letting the disciples answer, he turned and he answered to them. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but sinners. You see, Jesus shows us that even though we've turned our backs on, God's, he, on God, he still loves us, right? And he still reaches out to us, just like he did Levi, and just like he did these other men who were sinners. So we can be comforted in that fact, like that we still know that Jesus wants to be with us. And he shows us another example and, and another story for this woman who is caught in adultery, right? She, if you're caught in adultery, you are, you know, with another person's married wife, 
or her husband, uh, and, and we see the story of how Jesus acts towards her, a sinner, right? The teachers of the law brought a woman to Jesus, and she had been caught in adultery. They made her stand before Jesus and said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, right? Because of this act, the law says we're supposed to throw stones at her until she is dead, right? Sounds like a terrible way to die to me. And then they said to Jesus, now what do you say? What should we do? And their goal was to kind of trap him, right? This guy who preaches love, is he going to say, is he going to tell us to, 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 to break the law and not kill her? Or this man who preaches love, is he going to tell us not to love her and kill her? Either way, doesn't he lose? But Jesus bent down and started writing something in the, in, in the ground with his finger. And, uh, and these men kept questioning him. And he straightened up to these men and he said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. Right? If any of you is perfect, if any of you is following God, if none of you have ever turned your back on God, then go ahead, throw a stone at her. And at this, those that heard that started dropping their stones and they walked away until there was nobody left. And Jesus said to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And so Jesus said this, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So we see examples of Jesus loving people even when they were sinners. But then he also gives us this demand. He says, go now and leave your life of sin, right? These things that you've decided to go after instead of choosing God's path, you've chosen your own, stop doing that, right? You need to get back on the path with God. But the problem with that is it's hard to do, right? Because sin is tempting, right? We live in a world that is broken and we live in a world that tells us that sin is okay and that sin is acceptable. And, and, and it's just hard to break free. In Romans, there's a verse describing what, what sin is like, the kind of hold that it has. And I think I have it, I think I have it on the screen. It says this, and I think this is kind of how, how we all feel. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, right? God's law makes sense, right, to, to love people, right, and to just to, I don't even know, just to love people and, and um, you know, respect each other, even people that treat you wrongly, right? But I see another law at work in the members of my body, right? Another law pulling at me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner is the law of sin. You see, it says that word prisoner. I think that's really important that we are stuck in this life of sin. No matter how much we might want to follow God's law and we might want to follow what God has for us and follow that path that he's designed for us, we can't because we are a prisoner of sin. It has gripped us. It has its hooks in us. And we can't break free. And the problem with that is that there's a, a punishment for sin. Uh, and and in, in the same book in Romans, it goes on to tell us that the wages of sin is death, right? The wages, the price that has to be paid for sin is death. And we have chosen, instead of taking the path that God has for us, we've chosen sin. And so in that way, we've chosen death. And I'm not talking about an earthly death. Everybody dies. That happens. But I'm talking about a spiritual death, 
right? A forever separation from the God that created us and the God that wants a relationship with us. You see, we've lost that opportunity. We've broken that. And there's nothing that we can do within our power to get that back, right? You can't be a good enough person. You can't donate enough to charity. You can't volunteer enough to get that relationship back because the wages, the price to pay for the sin that we've chosen is that separation from God. And that's what we're, kind of where we're stuck. So that's not really the end of the story. Right? We're going to talk a little bit more tomorrow about where we go from here, but we're going to take a pause. And in a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to go to cabin time. And a couple things I want you to think about at cabin time. The first thing is, what does sin look like in your life? I gave you a couple examples, but, but what does sin look like in your life? How does it pop up in your life? Right? What are the things that you're kind of ashamed of, that you wouldn't want other people to know about, right? that, that you think, but you probably wouldn't tell somebody? Right? What are those things that, that you do or you think or you say that in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, I know this is probably not what I should be doing? How does sin show up in your life? And the second thing I want you to think about is, you know, God tells us, and Jesus tells that woman, go leave your life of sin. Why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult to do? So in a second, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to head out to cabin time and spend some time with our groups. And then the next place that you have to be is back here at 1030 for a pretty awesome activity I think you're going to enjoy. So if you wouldn't mind praying with me real quick. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for great conversations in cabin time. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio recorded at Surf City 2018. Surf City is a ministry of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. For more information, visit us online at pkfcamps.org or find us on Instagram at pkfcamps.